The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, downtown family. If you have your Bibles, meet me there in the scripture that we just uh, heard read, uh, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 4. Meet me in Psalm 37, verses 1 through 4. And before, uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Just uh, thank you for today. God, thank you uh, for the fact that just as Adriana sang, Lord, that uh, you hear our prayers God, thank you for being a present God, a God who is with us. Father God, I pray that this morning that you would preach to our hearts, that you would minister to us deeply, that, Lord, you would draw us near to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would instruct our hearts in how to walk in wisdom, how to walk in faithfulness. Father God, in the midst of a broken and fallen world and and in the midst of uh, broken and fallen people, which we are, Lord God, I pray that you just would show us how to be faithful to you. God, strengthen us where we are weak and broken. Father God, many of us need healing and restoration in some very specific ways, and you know who your people are. And I pray that you would minister to them and heal them in those places, Father God. I pray that you would calm the worried minds in the room, uh, that you would teach us how to let go and trust you, Father God, because you are indeed uh, the Prince of Peace. Lord, I pray uh, that I would decrease, Lord God, so that you may increase. It's in your son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Um, How am I doing here? How am I doing here? I might need to check, check, check. You you can hook me good? Okay, cool. All right. In 1942, uh, Air Force Chaplain Robert Taylor and thousands of his fellow servicemen uh, found themselves captured uh, and entrapped by enemy forces. They were called to walk a walk called the Death March, and they walked 60 miles to a death camp. So as they walked, uh, many of the men who Robert Chaplin, uh, uh, Chaplain Robert Taylor was with, many of them died in some very violent ways. And so Robert, Chap- uh, Robert uh, Taylor was the chaplain of this group. Uh, so he was the spiritual leader. He was the spiritual caretaker. He was the inspirational voice to the people when they were beginning to lose hope at this dark time in this prison camp. He even did things like sneak food into the camp uh, because he had a spy who was helping him to do that. So he was, he was ministering to them physically and ministering to them spiritually, which uh, this type of ministering to the people and this type of inspirational voice caught the attention of those who were overseeing this prison that he was in. And so he caught the attention of the prisoners, uh, those who were leading the prison in a way that was not so good. As a matter of fact, they took him and they put him into solitary confinement. And it wasn't a normal solitary confinement. It was a place called a hot box. And a hot box was a four by four tin box. 
sickness sounds like it sounds. It was hot. It was too short for a grown man to stand up in, and it was too narrow for him to lay down. Many people only lasted about three days inside of this hot box before they eventually went insane or died in some form of fashion. And so he went into this hot box with only his Bible, and he, he meditated on the Word of God, but eventually the heat and the exhaustion got too much, and he eventually uh, passed out, and they found him there just barely breathing, a very shallow breath. And they fed him, and he, and he, and he was able to resuscitate just a little bit, but they sought another grown man inside of this four-by-four hot box, two grown men. And now it's, it's going on several weeks when most people only made it about a few days. And so he's in there with another brother who he eventually led to Christ while they were in this hot box together. That's the type of friends that we need, people that will lead us to the Lord in those type of situations. And so they were there together for 14 weeks inside of this hot box, unable to stand up, unable to lay down, barely making it. Eventually, uh, they would be released, and they were still in this prison. And so he had this to say. He was released from the hot box. He says this, and this is a real quote. He says, if you could turn me inside out and look at my heart, you would see a man who still believes in the power of God. I'm going to live, and you are too, because God is going to give us strength. And eventually that's what happened. After three and a half years of being locked up in this prison, they eventually were released. And, and, and Chaplain Robert Taylor continued to live a life of faithfulness. It wasn't an easy life. I mean, his story gets harder in some other ways. He goes home after three and a half years uh, of being in prison and his wife had left him and was married to another man because she thought he had died. So it, it, it gets rough. But he still remains uh, by various presidents for that uh, faithfulness that he displayed. So you may be saying that's, that's good for him, but the question I want to pose, propose to us today is this. What are you and I going to do when life puts us in a hot box? We, we have so many layers of comfort here in America, so you may never be placed inside of an actual four-by-four cell that's made of tin, but you will have your faith tried and tested. That is a fact. As long as you desire and try to live faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have your faith tried and tested. And will you respond in faith? Or as Miss Audrey said to me last week, will you fall apart like a $2 suitcase? Or will you respond in faith? As long as we are on this side of eternity, there will be challenges, there will be trials. One day we know that there will be good news, and one day we know that there will be no more suffering, that there will be no more pain. But the question is, until then, what do we do? Until then, what do we do? One day there will be no more sickness, one day there will be no more disease, no, one day there will be no more wars, there will be no more fighting, no there will be no more de depression and anxiety, but until then... What do we do? What do we do while the trial is going on? While you are still waiting for the prayer to be answered? While you're still waiting on the marriage to get better, what do you do until 
then. I believe that Psalm 37 verses 1 through 4 speaks to us and gives us an answer to that question. So I want to look at uh, Psalm 37 verses 1 through 2. And it reads like this. Fret not because of evildoers, nor be envious of wrongdoers. I want to stop right there. It says, fret not because of evildoers, nor be envious of wrongdoers. We, we live in a world with uh, evil people and evil systems, and one day they will all be gone. But until then, God is telling us, do not be afraid. Why is the writer of Psalm 37 telling us to not be afraid? Because in David's day and in our day, there are times where it looks like the enemy is winning, where it looks like God's people are losing. Even when Jesus was on that cross and his enemies were mocking him and he was bleeding out of his, out of his hands and out of his feet and he had that crown of thorns on his head and his enemies were mocking him. It Even today in Memphis, Tennessee, some 50 years after Dr. King was assassinated, it can still look like God's people are not winning. When we talk about the violence and the numbers, and as, 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 as George mentioned earlier, it looked like we're on record number for homicides in Memphis. It can look like God's people are not winning. When we think about the fact that there's some women who've been abused by men who have power and authority, and those men have beautiful families and uh, nice reputations and lucrative careers, sometimes those women who've been abused can feel like, God is not winning, and that God's people are losing. And these kind of moments when it seems like the world is so bad, and the city is so bad, and our personal lives are so bad, we can feel like the enemy is just pressing in on us, and we're oppressed, and that, and that nothing seems to be letting up on us. The Lord has something for us. God says, fret not. He says, don't be afraid. That word fret means to be agitated. It means to be worked up. He, he, he says, don't get worked up. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been worked up? Because of what he or she, she said behind your back or what they even may have said to your face. Some, maybe somebody hurts you and you feel like that they got away with it. They've gone on with their lives and they've hurt you. Maybe you feel like there are some people in power and because they are in power, you can't sleep good tonight. Because there are some people in power and you feel like they're going to abuse their power and use their power to hurt you. And for some of us, we've allowed people to cause us to hate them. Some of you hate some people because of what they did to you. You, you, you hate them. Because we still haven't got justice for what they did. And the trauma from that abuse and that evil act towards you begins to spill over into your other relationships, into your relationship with your spouse, into your relationship with your children, into your relationships with your coworker. And we're all dealing with your unprocessed trauma. And I'm not saying, and God is not saying that it's wrong to hurt that it's wrong to feel pain. But what he is saying is this, don't let that venom seep into your heart and cause you to forget who God is. Don't let it seep into your heart 
and cause you to forget the goodness of God and who has called you to be. He says, fret not because of evildoers. In verse 8, he says, it tends only to evil. Nothing is going to come out of your agitation and your fear and getting work. It's only going to lead to something else evil happening. Hurt people hurt people. Don't let them get you all worked up. Don't let CNN or Fox News or whatever your, fl your flavor is get you worked up. Because fear, fear, fear makes us do foolish things. When we are worked up because of our fear and envy, uh, the enemy is having a field day in our hearts and it makes us do foolish things and hurt people. Sometimes that unprocessed trauma is having a field day in our hearts. And God says, you don't have to let it rule and reign in your heart like that. You don't have to let it rule and reign in your heart like that because of what they did to you, because of what they said to you. And it's serious and not, there's nothing wrong with going to counseling. There's nothing wrong with even taking medicine. There's nothing wrong with having to work through it. But you can't let that thing have victory over you. You can't let that thing have victory over your family, the Lord says, fret not because of evildoers. I've been there. I know what it means not to trust people in 2019 because of something someone said to me in 2010. I know what it's like to wrestle with that. I know what it means to bring church hurt from one church to another and to say, I'm putting my guard up and it's never happening to me again. I know what that means. I know what that feels like. I've been there. Me and my wife have been there. But some of us are still allowing people to control us. And God wants you to be free. You may be saying that's all fine in churchy, Terrence, but there are real evil people in the world who can cause real harm, real wicked systems, real power structures that need to be torn down. What do we do with that? Psalm 37, 1 through 2 says this, fret not because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. Why? Why, Terrence? It looks like they're winning. Why? It looks like they got away with it. Why should I not be afraid? They can hurt me again. The second part of that verse says this, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. It's like grass that grows today and is cut tomorrow. That's how short and brief the reign uh, of the wicked are. It's not, it's not a long time. Uh, God has an eternal perspective, and he wants us to see it how he sees it. And from his perspective, even the most powerful, wicked people in the world only have a short window, a short term of power. It's like grass that grows today and that's cut tomorrow. We should actually be praying for them because they only have a little window to repent. We should be praying for these people. I know that's hard to say because some of us have been hurt really bad. Some of us are being hurt right now, uh, but we actually should be praying for these people uh, because uh, there's only a limited window. And hear me say this, God's people are not called to be passive people who are inactive towards the evil and the injustice in the world. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but we are to be people who fight to push the kingdom of God forward in the various spheres of, so of society, not with fear in our hearts, but with hope in our hearts. 
We don't push against the kingdom of darkness thinking that there's somehow some way that we might lose. No, we don't push forward with that type of fear and anxiety. We push forward with hope knowing that at the end, King Jesus wins. He's the sovereign God, and he's going to get it done. He's going to fight to push his kingdom agenda uh, forward. Uh, he, he's going to do that. And so uh, he's going to choose some of us to be involved in that, right? He's going to choose us. We're going to serve him. And then he's going to bury us and send us to heaven. And he's going to bring someone else and they're going to serve him too. And he's going to keep it going. He's always done it that way. So he's going to make it. And here's the hard truth for some of us who get so worked up about trying to change everything. And I get it. I want to see some things change too. But here's the reality. He, he's going to get it done uh, and, and he's going to replace you. And you may be important, but you're not that important. You can take the cape off. You're important to God's kingdom work in this world, but you're not that important. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worked up. Rest in that. Don't get all worked up, friends. Fret not. So what do we do until then? He's going to fix it, right? So what do we do until then? Uh, Psalm 37 it tells us to trust in the Lord. Fret not because of evildoers and, and, and wrongdoers, for they'll soon be cut down like the grass and, the, and they'll wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord is what he says next. In verse 3, he says, trust in the Lord. And what you will notice in Psalm 37 is that uh, David begins to shift our attention. Just pay attention to this. He begins to shift our attention in this, in this passage. We go from focusing on the evildoers and the wrongdoers, and then he says, look over here. Trust in the Lord. I know, I know all that's going on in the world, but look over here. Trust in the Lord. He goes from talking about people and what they are doing to talking about God and who he is. Because once you know who God is, it kind of doesn't matter what everybody else has going on. And as we sang earlier, it may seem like you're outnumbered and surrounded, but God, you are the majority if you are with God. I don't care if it's 10,000 people. I don't care if it's a bunch of people in the office who are giving you a hard time, a bunch of people in the classroom who are giving you a hard time. If you're with God, you have the majority, my friend, but God. But do you, do you really believe that? Do you really trust that? Do you really know that for real, for real, as they say, F-R-F-R, in your heart? <laughs> do you really believe it and know it? Because sometimes it may, seems like, it may seem like the devil is on your heels and he, he's chasing you down and there's so much pressure and there's so much stress and there's so much pain and it's hard to really believe it. But he says, focus your attention to the Lord, trust in the Lord. Take your attention off of the trials and, and, and face uh, your attention to the Lord. E.M. Uh, e. Bounds, an uh, author, gives a picture of this in his book, The Necessity of Prayer. Uh, it reads like this. It says, a good friend of mine who is quite the lover of deer hunting told me the following story. Here, check out this story. He says, rising early one morning, he said, I heard the sound of a pack of hound dogs chasing a deer. All my hunting people, y'all know what he's talking about. Looking away to a broad open field in front of me, I saw a young baby deer making its way across and giving signs that its race was over soon and that it was about to be captured. Coming closer to me, it leapt over my fence and crouched 10 feet from where I stood. A moment later, two of the hound dogs came over 
And when the baby fawn ran into my direction, it pushed his head between my legs. I lifted the thing up to my chest and swinging it round and round, fought off the dogs. I felt in that moment that no dog should capture that fawn, hear this now, after its weakness had appealed to my strength. So is it when human helplessness appeals to Almighty God. I remember when the hounds of sin were after my soul, until at last I ran into the arms of Almighty God. You may feel like that baby deer this morning on the run and exhausted, and God says, that's okay, I can handle that, run to me. Your enemies are not so big and bad after all. Run to me. I long to be your protector and your provider. Run to me. I long to use my strength on your behalf. Run to me. And many of you have had people use their strength to hurt you. But God is saying that I long to use my strength on your behalf. And if a baby deer is wise enough to run to a man who is flawed and weak in his own right, why wouldn't you and I run into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father? Until the day comes when there's no more sin and there's no more suffering and there's no more pain in this world, we are to run to our Father. We are to run to Him. He longs for us to embrace Him. We are to trust Him. And a crowd of this size, I know that there's some people uh, in here who are, who are hurting, um, uh, who, who probably are, are, are tired of running, uh, who, who are tired of trying, who, who are exhausted even, and we all get tired. We're tired of the dogs uh, chasing us. And sometimes it can feel like the enemy is just too strong uh, and that the debt is too deep. And you may, say, may be saying to yourself this morning, I am tired. I feel like giving up. I feel like uh, throwing in the towel. In Psalm 37, verse 3, the Lord says this to us. He says, I know you want to quit. I know you want to stop. I know it feels like what you're doing isn't actually making a difference. I know it feels like you're just clocking in and doing another day, and this, is, this doesn't even matter. It, this isn't valuable. It's just another day in the classroom, just another day in the office, just another day at home. I'm tired. Is this even really making a difference? And Psalm 37, verse 3 says this, do good and befriend faithfulness. He says, do good and befriend faithfulness because you still have a race to run. If you woke up this morning, God still has a plan for you. If he didn't, you wouldn't have woke up this morning. So that obviously means that you still have a race to run. And your faithfulness... response to his finished work. He's not asking you to do anything in your own strength, uh, but he's saying, take that next step of faithfulness. Uh, I, I got you. That's what the Lord is trying to tell you. I got you. Do good and befriend faithfulness. And there are certain things that he's called all of us to do, and there are certain things that right now, and only you know this, that he has for you to do specifically. Some of us are called to do some of the same things, most of the same things. But there are some things that God wants for you 
specifically. And so the question I want to ask is this. What does it mean for you to be faithful in this season? And that's a question to write home and think about uh, later on tonight or with your spouse or over dinner. What does it mean for you to be faithful in this season? Not last year, not next year, but right now, uh, this morning. What does it mean for you to be faithful? Because you still have a race to run. Uh, if anybody's ever run a marathon or a half marathon, you know that there are three letters uh, that no runner wants to have on their race. And those three letters are D-N-F, did not finish. Nobody wants a DNF on their race. Uh, that happens for when for whatever reason uh, the person gets tired or they get thirsty or they get exhausted or they lose confidence, there's a DNF on their record. And nobody really cares years down the road why, but that's what the record's going to say, uh, that, that they didn't finish. And so uh, I want to finish well. I know you want to finish well. But we have to take that next step of faithfulness. There are so many talented, ambitious, and smart, and well-intentioned brothers and sisters who just didn't finish well. And, and, but there are others who crawl to the finish line on their knees if they had to. And they finish. That's what they call the perseverance of the saints, that thing. Those are the people who, who, who finish. So... Uh, some of our staff went to Denver last week uh, for an event uh, for our congregation. Um, and while we were there, Ashley and I met a woman by the name of Robin. Uh, Ro Robin is an uh, older lady. In, well, she's not that old. I don't want to say old. But she's a, a lady in her early 50s. Dang, oh, I'm trying not to get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> faithfully plugging away at seminary. She's, in, uh, she's faithfully plugging away at seminary, but she had recently been diagnosed uh, with a rare terminal cancer that is so complicated and so aggressive uh, that chemotherapy will not even work for her. Uh, the doctors have given her 18 months to live. Uh, but this is what she told the group. And we spoke in a small group together. She says, uh, but I have 12 months left in seminary. And basically, uh, she... She said, I'm not dying <laughs> until I finish that seminary degree. And so she says that her goal is to get that degree before she dies within the next 18 months. So she has exams to study for and a funeral to plan is what she told us. So she's, and I know this because I'm studying for exams and stuff now. And so that's no joke in and of itself. So she's studying for exams and planning her own funeral. But she says that's what it means for her to finish well. She says there will not be a D and F on my record. She's giving glory to her God, no DNF on her record. So all of us have trials. And God gave you yours because for whatever reason, he, he, he knows that you can handle that trial with his strength. Not on your own, but in his strength. Uh, he knows that you can walk with him in that trial. And so we, we don't want a DNF on our records. Take that next step of faithfulness. And only you know what that means you. So the psalmist tells us that until then, fret not because of evildoers. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Befriend faithfulness. And then he tells us this final thing. He tells us to delight in the Lord. He will give us the desires of our heart. He says, delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. And he will give us the desires of our heart. So what does that mean? We get confused on that one. 
This is a coffee mug Christian verse. This is a Christian tattoo Christian verse. Uh, this is uh, the good luck verse, right? So Psalm 37, 4. This is actually Oprah's favorite Bible verse, she said. So this is a big deal. So what does this mean? So delight myself in the Lord and I just get what I want, right? So all I have to do is like God and the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl and I can get the Tesla if I just like God enough. No, God is not a cosmic vending machine. He is not a holy grandma. That is not what this is about. But in all seriousness, our heart's desires do matter to God. Our affections do matter to God. Our happiness, dare I say, does matter to God. And the problem isn't that we desire too much. The problem is that we desire too little. The problem is that we desire too little. See, we think that we know what a good time is, but we really don't know what a good time is. So we, we, we think that we really know what a good life is, but we really don't know what a good life is. We're like the people from Kansas City who think they know what barbecue is. They have no <laughs> idea. Right? But we, we, we think we know what a good time is. We think we know what life is. We think we know what joy is. So we pursue these things and we chase these things. And we even use God uh, to get things. And we sometimes even misinterpret that verse to make it mean that if I like God, he's going to give me all the other stuff that I want. At times, we're like thieves trying to break into God's house and steal a piece of furniture or jewelry out of God's house. And we're trying to sneak away and not get caught. And God is saying, oh, friend, I see you trying to sneak out with that small piece of jewelry in your pocket. I was planning on giving you the whole house and the whole kingdom. You want too little. You know too little. I see that all you want me for is material blessing, for safety, for protection. But I am so much more than that. And the material things in and of themselves will never satisfy. And sometimes God allows us to discover that for ourselves. So uh, that's why addictions never satisfy. You just get all you can and it still leaves you empty on the inside. That's why we can reach the top of something and still uh, not be satisfied. No amount of human approval, uh, human approval is enough. Uh, no amount of money is enough. You, you fill in the blank. We get it and we realize, man, this isn't it. No amount of success is enough. It, it, it's not enough. Uh, I was recently uh, listening to an uh, a interview from the, the prophet Kanye West. Uh, he's, he's a person who's reached the pinnacle of success in the music world uh, and in the entertainment and fashion world. Uh, but recently, Kanye started doing something very peculiar. He started hosting a Sunday church service. Uh, he started hosting a, ch a, a Sunday church service and he, because he says he needs to get away uh, from all of the pressure and all of the distractions from this extravagant life that he's built for himself. As a matter of fact, all of that extravagance and all that fame has done nothing but wore him out. So he does something now uh, where Sundays, he has something called Sunday, uh, Kanye Sunday service. Uh, sometimes people like Kanye are a gift to us uh, to show us that, man, maybe it's not all what it's cracked up to be. And sometimes that, that's a gift to us. Now, so he's doing something called Kanye Sunday Service. I wouldn't adopt uh, his theology or his doctrine, but I think, that, 
I think that Kanye's on to something. And as I listened to him, I was like, this brother thinks he's being so innovative right now. He's like, what I'm going to do is gather all these people who are distracted by all these things that are burdening them down in the world. I'm going to get them to a place and get them to focus. So you had to go through all of that just to discover, man, that I need to focus my life on something bigger than myself. And I, and I can't focus my life on all this wealth and this fame. That's not it. Not all that other stuff. We were created for worship. God says, delight yourself in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. God says, I know what you really want. And what you really want is me because I created you for me. He says, delight yourself in me. Enjoy me. What is the chief end of man to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever? As we delight ourselves in God and begin to enjoy God, he begins to reshape and reorient our affections and desires towards the right things, the things that will truly give us joy. He says, delight yourself in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. So another question, what do you want? Maybe you hadn't thought about it lately. But what do you want? Maybe it's driving you right now, but you haven't stopped to pay attention to where it's driving you to. What do you want? There's some longings in this room, some very legitimate longings in this room. Uh, there's some brokenheartedness in this room, some very legitimate brokenheartedness in this room. And some of us may even feel like we're behind in the race. We aren't educated enough. We aren't successful enough. Uh, I talked to a lot of my fellow millennial comrades, my peer group, and a lot of times we feel left behind. Like we got all these promises when we were kids. I believe I can fly, all that kind of stuff at all our graduations when we were in elementary and middle school. And uh, there are some dreams that just feel like they aren't fulfilled. Uh, and some of those dreams may come to fruition, some of them may not. And so some of us have a lot of longing. Uh, there's some things that may actually come to fruition, but some things we may not see or experience until the other side of eternity. But until then, we have to delight ourselves in the Lord. And if the dream doesn't come true, if the prayer doesn't get, doesn't get answered, can you enjoy God? Is he enough for you? Can you enjoy God? Even if the dreams don't come true, can you love God? Even if the dreams don't come true. I believe this. I believe that one day we will all see that he was not a second place trophy after all. But instead, he's the grand prize. And you will know that he is who you wanted and what you wanted all along. So in your current situation, God wants you to know that you are not losing if you have him because he is the grand prize. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's a story of a man, and we'll close here, who owned an enormous and expensive painting collection. He was a collector of Van Goghs and Picassos and 
all those famous artists that my wife knows about because she's an artist. So when he died, there was an auction to be hosted for his various paintings. This is how he wanted it to be, you know. So at the auction, all of the paintings were up, all the Van Goghs, all the Picassos, uh, etc. And then there was also one picture of his son. Nothing special, nothing fancy. Easy to look over, just his son. The auction begins, and the auctioneer begins to auction off the picture of the son first. And everybody was just ready to get that one out the way, because nobody really wanted that one. <laughs> no one really wanted the son. They just wanted to get it out the way. So finally, one person lifts his hand up and says, one dollar, I'll take it for, for one dollar. The auctioneer says, going once, going twice, sold. That concludes the auction. Everybody was shocked. See, the owner had it written into his will that whoever received the son will also inherit his entire estate, including all of the other paintings. Whoever receives the son receives everything. God has offered up his son Jesus to us. And his son meant everything to the father, but the father sacrificed his son. He offered him as a gift. And if we receive that gift, we receive everything. You are not losing this morning. If we already have the gift, then we have everything. So will we receive him with joy? Will we enjoy him even if we don't have everything else that's on the Christmas list? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name, thanking you for the gift. God, we think we know what a good life is. We think we know what a good time is. We would have ridden our life with no pain in it, no suffering in it. We would have given ourselves everything we wanted when we wanted it and everybody that we wanted it, wanted when we wanted. Father God, I, God, we don't know. So God, lead us to you. Teach us to repent and turn away from our idols, from those things that we think that we just got to have, Lord. Set us free from those things and teach us to enjoy you and to delight in you. God, you are good, and you've given us your best. Help us to be faithful, to endure. God, I just want to pray for the people in the room right now who just feel tired. Pray that you would strengthen their hearts, Lord that you will remind them that they are not alone, that they are not suffering alone, that, God, you know suffering because you died on the cross, so you know suffering. You were rejected on the cross, Lord. You know what that feels like, and I pray that we would know that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but that you're right there with us. God, I pray for the anxious hearts in the room, that you would calm and quiet the anxieties about the future. Help us to be present with you and enjoy you. And come to understand and discover the reality that you are enough, God. And that is not a second place trophy. You are not a second place prize. You are the grand prize. And we are blessed this morning. God, we love you and we thank you and we need you. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.